Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Baseball America podcast. I am Carlos Colazzo, and today I am joined by Kyle Glazer, who is out in California grinding, watching Major League Baseball, and as of yesterday, watching Minor League Baseball with the start of the Minor League season starting Thursday as we record this Friday morning. Kyle, how is it going out there in California? Doing great, man. A lot of sunshine, a lot of good baseball, a lot of good Mexican food. I'm, uh, I'm in my happy place. <laughs> no doubt. That's home for you. I know you love being out there. Uh, as for me, we've got the NHSI going on, but today we're going to focus on the minor league season as that kicks off. Some of the things we're looking forward to seeing collectively, uh, what you're looking forward to seeing specifically, Kyle, some orgs that have some talent and can make a jump, uh, some of the leagues that are exciting, uh, but a lot to talk about, obviously. Um, if you don't subscribe to Baseball America, definitely do that. We have uh, the Baseball America Prospect Report, uh, which you can get in your inbox every day that'll kind of keep you in the loop with a lot of the top performing prospects throughout the season. So we make it easy for you uh, to kind of get that information right at your fingertips. But Kyle, let's just jump right into it, man. What are you most excited uh, or even most interested in seeing this spring and kind of as we get rolling in the minor league season? Yeah, I mean, with minor league day opening up, I think the biggest storyline for me is I really want to see how the top two picks in last year's draft, Casey Mize and Joey Bart, mm-hmm. just kind of assimilate in their first full season. Um, each of these guys, you know, Mize was our top pitcher uh, coming into the draft last year that you put together. Bart was pretty much the consensus top position player. We had mm-hmm. heard that was going to be one, two in the draft, really two months before the draft even happened. And yeah. these were the two guys. And, um, you know, there's always a big jump from college to the, to the pro ranks. Um, very, very talented players, obviously. But just seeing how they hold up to the program that, you know, that first full year. Bart looked really good last year. It was short season ball, you know, 40, 40-some-odd games. Mm-hmm. Myers went out and pitched just a little bit. He's really getting uh, his first full season going this year. So seeing how those two guys really just kind of, take off or not this first year. That's going to be one of the more interesting subplots of the minor league season for me. Yeah, no doubt. And Casey Mize actually last night matched up against Clark Schmidt. That was a pretty good pitching matchup. Uh, both of those guys performed pretty well. Um, Mize allowed one hit, no walks, and struck out eight batters and five shutout innings. So a pretty good start to the season for him. But, yeah, he'll be one that's fun to monitor as, obviously, throughout the entire 2018 draft cycle, he was kind of locked in as the number one guy. I shouldn't say the entire cycle. Basically, as soon as the season started, the college season started, he, he established himself as the number one player pretty quickly. Uh, so he'll be a fun one to watch. Um, how about... Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, oh, no, I was going to say, you know, and, and the history of those college right-handers going number one overall, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. You have some hits, but you also have some that didn't quite work out as hope. The last college right-hander taken number one overall was Mark Appel. He also had been, you know, consistently considered the top guy in that class mm-hmm. all the way through, went number one. But the guys previous to him that were in that same category are Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. So 
there's a wide range of outcomes here. You have you know guys like Luke Hoshaver, Brian Bullington, uh, Matt Anderson, Chris Benson. It, it's not like every college right-hander taken one overall develops into that ace. Yeah. As we know, developing aces is pretty difficult. It's but, almost um, like pitchers are very difficult uh, and risky. I know, right? Crazy, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I do think that Casey Mize, obviously, he's never shown us anything to this point where you think he's more Mark Appel than, than these other guys. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to, you know, insinuate that in any way. It's just, you know, it just kind of goes to show that developing pitchers is, is difficult. And mm-hmm. A lot of these guys look, you know, look like studs. And you go back and look at the last 10 college right-handers taken number one overall, probably two became the studs predicted. Two or three others became solid, but not spectacular mm-hmm. starters. And four and four or five of them just, never, you know, they got yeah, Never panned out. But, right. So yeah. It, it, it's tough, and that's why I really want to see, you know, how Mize does his first full year and, and really what kind of pitcher the, the Tigers have in practice as opposed to just what it should be based on the scouting report. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think just having covered Casey Mize last year as a draft prospect, one thing that will be interesting to me is just can he kind of handle a professional workload and stay healthy? Obviously, uh, one of the biggest question marks with Mize during his draft year was just the, the medical that he had built up. He'd been injured quite a few times when he was in college. Uh, his junior spring season, obviously, he had no problems getting on the mound every day, and that is one of the, one of the reasons why he's taken number one overall. But when he's healthy, he's always performed. Uh, and I guess you could say this about every pitcher, just you're curious to see if he can stay on the mound, if he can handle the workload, if he can just, just stay healthy and keep throwing the ball. Um, but, but particularly with him, that'll be interesting. Um, Kyle, have you seen Joey Bart in person yet? Uh, what are your thoughts about him? I know you touched on, on him a little bit, but um, he was a guy yeah, that I also so got I, to see last year's class and uh, has some very exciting power, good defensive skills behind the plate as well. Yeah, so I haven't had a chance to see him in person yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've obviously seen some video and talked to a lot of evaluators, and, and they love him. Mm-hmm. I remember having one spring training, and I wrote this in that article, you know, 15 players training scout heads. One evaluator said, I'm watching him, and I don't see why he couldn't be in the big leagues midway through this year, which mm-hmm. obviously would be pretty crazy for a catcher in his first full season of professional baseball to be in the majors, you know, six months later, not even six months later. But, yeah, that's again, the cat – oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's particularly high praise when you, when you talk about the team that he plays for and, and the ca- kind of catching talent they have at the major league level. And part of that's probably why he won't do that. They're going to let him take his time – no, no reason to rush him. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about pitchers being risky. Going back, I went back and looked since uh, the modern draft format kind of kicked in in 1987. Mm-hmm. We've had seven college catchers, or I'm sorry, seven catchers, period, taken in, a top, in the top three picks. And only two of them really kind of had careers worthy of that high pick. Joe Maurer was one. And then you had Mike Lieberthal, who had a really nice career, although you could argue he probably shouldn't have been top three either. Mm-hmm. Those are Ben Davis, Tyler Houston, Jeff Clement, Eric Munson. And, you know, Mike Zimino's career is still, is still going, but I think if you look at his production today versus some of the other guys that draft, you wouldn't have taken them top three. And, you know, talk about pitching is hard. Catching mm-hmm. is really, really, really hard, too. So uh, Joey Barton looks great. Uh, but this is another reason why I want to see him really – you know, hold up under the grind of the first full season, seeing full season caliber of pitching because a lot of these guys were against studs. Jeff Clement, Eric Munson, uh, Mike Zanino were all super studs. Zanino being a catcher with power and defense is someone that Joey Bart was caught to a little bit out of college. And mm-hmm. we've seen Zanino struggle to hit because he was rushed too quickly. So 
again, I think Joey Bart has a chance to be excellent. Again, this is not to insinuate in any way he, he's not going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it's just you never really know until they see full season ball and then upper level pitching. And you know, pitch, pitchers and catchers are probably the two riskiest demographics you can have in the draft, and that's where we had our top two picks last year. So that just makes their step this year that much more fascinating to watch. Yeah, no doubt. And and how about from maybe a team or an organizational standpoint? We've touched on a couple individual players, obviously the top two picks in last year's draft. But right now, if you pick up a, a copy of Baseball America, the cover story is kind of the, the talent of the Rays system. Uh, and last year they had some guys who made some big leaps to kind of push them up our organizational talent rankings uh, and to make them the number two farm system in baseball. Is there another team that you think that currently is kind of a little bit on the outside looking in that has some, some talent or some depth of talent where if you see a couple guys take some jumps uh, next year, you wouldn't be surprised if they were in the top, I don't know, top three spots maybe. Yeah, so, you know, I think about like the Rays last year. They were a good system. We had them in our top ten, but Wander Franco, Brandon Lowe, or Brandon Lau, Nate Lowe, Ronaldo Hernandez, Vidal, Brujan, Moises Gomez, like all these guys were – a ball or below, a lot of them were rookie ball, and they were interesting, but they mm-hmm. hadn't really shown what they showed last year yet, and mm-hmm. that's really what led to this big leap. So when I look at other systems that have a lot of talent in that A ball and below level where if they come up and really pop this year, it's going to make their system look a lot better than it currently mm-hmm. does. And I just kept coming back to the Yankees. Yeah. I look at guys like Davey Garcia, Anthony Siegler, Everson Pereira, Antonio Cabello, Matt Sauer, these are all really, really talented kids that were high draft picks or, you know, names to know as soon as they signed internationally. Again, all of them are, are in A ball or below. Uh, most of them are in rookie ball or below, short season mm-hmm. ball. So if all five of these guys click, the Yankees could really run up. And there's guys behind them, too, Oscar Rodriguez as well as Peraza. So, you know, the Yankees obviously don't need any more help than they already have, but <laughs> there's a lot of really talented guys in the lower levels of the system. And well, maybe they need the some help getting guys getting guys healthy. That might be the only thing they need help with. Yes, yeah. I think they're actually pitching staff in particular healthy would, would be nice. But yeah. um, just in general, though, you know, the Yankees have developed well. You know, you see all the homegrown talent they've produced the last couple of years, or even guys they acquired in trades in the minors and then developed to be ready for the majors. The Yankees have a pretty strong player development apparatus, which gives you some optimism that, that these guys will, even if they don't hit their you know, 100% outcome ceiling, they have a chance to become pretty good players. And I think there's a chance we can see the Yankees take that big step forward this year as we did with the Rays last year. Again, not that I'm going to pick them to be our number two farm system <laughs> baseball year yeah, yeah. or anything, but just kind of you know, to take a big leap with a lot of guys showing that you know what they can do really does play at higher levels. Yeah, no doubt. Anthony Siegler is a guy that you mentioned that I, that I'm really high on. Just again, after after covering him in the 2018 draft, just he has loads of talent. He was dealing with a couple minor injuries last season, but even then, in the Gulf Coast League, uh, it was a short stint, obviously, after being drafted. But in 12 games, he hit 333, 429, 472. I mean, a high school catcher doing that is pretty impressive, uh, and he's got a chance to impact the game on both sides of the ball. So he'll be a fun one to watch, uh, in particular for me. Um, but yeah, are there any other teams you want to mention, or is it kind of the Yankees that's the one that sticks out? They're the ones that really stick out. Gotcha. All right, let's jump into some of the leagues that are that are kind of interesting, or maybe stand out for their depth or the, or the quality of prospect talent that we have. Um, obviously, we talked about a Florida State League matchup 
but is there any one minor league specifically that you think is going to be fascinating to watch? Obviously, you and JJ and Josh and Ben Badler uh, will have your eyes covered on all these leagues, but, but is there any that really piques your interest at this point? Yeah, you know, it's kind of looking at the rosters and the talent base. The group of players in the Texas League, that double-A level, mm-hmm. is really, really good. Now, the Texas League is only eight teams, but i got to tell you, the number of talented players on those eight teams, I think, is greater than some of the 12-team minor leagues we see. Yeah. Uh, Amarillo, the Padres, affiliate, Adrian Marajon, Hudson Potts, Reggie Lawson, uh, the Dodgers affiliate, Tulsa, Caber Reed, Gavin Lux, Dustin May, the Angels affiliate out over in Arkansas, and that's Joe Adele when he gets healthy, joining Brandon Marsh and Jemai Jones. Uh, you know, J.P. Bukowskis is over at Corpus Christi. Ellie Harris Montero, Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals, they're over at Springfield. Uh, the Rangers affiliate Briscoe has some really good arms. Brock Burke, Jonathan Hernandez, Joe Palumbo. I, I really feel like the Texas League to me mm-hmm. is kind of eye popping with the number of guys that are there on opening day. And obviously, a lot of these guys are going to be promoted at some point, so they might not be there for long. But if I was uh, if I was in Texas or, or <laughs> you know Arkansas and the areas that. Uh, this league covers. I'd be getting up as many games as I could because there's a lot of talent this week this year. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in Texas as far as the minor leagues are concerned. We recently wrote about how the draft talent in Texas uh, is maybe the best that we've seen this century, at least at the top end. So sounds like Texas is the place to be. I think we might have to organize a joint trip out there. Yeah, no doubt. We can knock out some really good work out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle. Uh, you have not been just watching minor league baseball. If there's any other minor league storylines or players you want to touch on, feel free. But you've been watching some major league baseball as well. Uh, and while we do focus on the minor league guys, you can't not talk about major league baseball after the first week of the season. Not at all. And again, I you know again I I would say uh, you know, major league baseball is every bit a part of my coverage is, is the minors and keeping uh, keeping an eye on everything there because at the end of the day. <laughs> That's what matters. What uh, what's going on at the major league level? That's yeah. kind of the point of everything we're doing, and you know, being out there, seeing some of the teams getting going in the National League. Uh, it's, it's been interesting to watch some of the talent bases, and in some cases, teams that are clearly on the rise, and some other cases, teams that are clearly trying to figure a few things out. Uh, I refer to the Potters as the former, and the Giants as the latter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the look at the AL East as well. You've got Baltimore seeing with a four and three. Record in Boston, two and six. So, what is this? Orioles are going to win the division this year. Boston's going to finish last. So, you want to jump on that train, Kyle? Uh, no, I think <laughs> we should always ensure we don't overreact to the first week of the Major League Baseball. Oh, come on, season. that's the most uh, fun thing to do. Be. There is one thing that has happened that I do think is real, though, that, that I think some people might be sleeping on. And, and that, to me, has been the Mariners' offense. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Mariners have played a couple extra games from a lot of teams just because they opened in Japan. But I said on our American League preseason podcast that I thought the Mariners had a chance to have a top 10 outfield in baseball, which JJ kind of got thought at. But yeah. look at last year, by certain, you know, however you want to rank it, they were number 11 in all of baseball last year at that outfield. And I think their outfield this year is better. Um, I, I look at Domingo Santana getting the opportunity to have everyday playing time. He's a really, really dangerous hitter. Mitch Hanniger, for me, is one of the most underrated players in baseball. And, Malik Smith, we saw really start to bring everything together last year in Tampa. Mm-hmm. You know, Smith and Hanniger are great defenders, not good defenders, great defenders who can also do a lot for you at the plate. Smith is that leadoff guy who can swipe a lot of bags, and he's actually shown a little bit of power early too. Hanniger, there's ability to hit for power and average, and Santana can absolutely mash. And right now, you look at the Mariners. 
you know, they're sitting pretty and they're, they're slugging 520 as a team. You know, obviously they're not going to probably do that over the course of 162 games. But I talked a little bit about this. So the Mariners were not your typical rebuilding team. Mm-hmm. You just strip it down, sell it for parts, and fill out the rest of their lineup with kind of fringe players while they wait for the young guys to develop. There's a lot of talent on this Mariners team. Um, again, Kyle Seeger and Ryan Healy are better players than what they showed last year. Last year was just such an outlier mm-hmm. you know, to their careers. So this is an offense that can really match. Um, we'll see how the pitching holds up over the course of the season. That's going to be the question mark. But, you know, again, the Orioles are not really going to stay competitive over, over the course <laughs> of 162 games. Yeah. We know that. The Mariners, to me, are a team that I, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily say, ah, they're, they're going to tail off. There's real major league ready talent there. And then there's now some talent in the high minors that they can pull up middle of the season to, to reinforce their crew a little bit. Mm-hmm. Especially now with the Angels just getting blasted with injuries before the season even starts. All of a sudden, the Mariners have, have a route to third place in the American League West. And who knows? You know, Oakland is, is still heading for power, but there's a, there's a lot of swing and miss in that lineup. And we'll see how that pitching holds up. And, you know, the Mar- you know we always talk about the team that no one sees coming. I'm not going to pick the Mariners to do it after one week of the season, but mm-hmm. I will just say there's there's enough present talent there for them to be, I think, more dangerous than people give them credit for. Yeah, well, good call. As of right now, they have the best record in baseball at 7-1. and one. Uh, They've got the most runs scored in baseball at 56, just edging out the Dodgers, who have 55. Uh, and they only trail the Dodgers in run differential at this point. They're plus 17, um, along with the Phillies who have started out pretty hot. They're plus 17 as well in run differential. Trailing, both those teams only trailing the Dodgers. Uh, so the Dodgers kind of doing what we expect them to do to start. Uh, are there any other players or teams you want to note after the first week? I know you've had your hands kind of on everything. You're, uh, you're all over the place. But uh, anything else that sticks out to you? We've had a couple good pitching performances. Cleveland, obviously, has had a, a couple really impressive uh, pitching performances to start while their lineup is... Uh, kind of waiting on Francisco Lindor to get back and, and get that thing pumping. But Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger both had really good debuts. Um, any other notes around the league that you want to touch on? I mean, you hit on the Clevenger and Bauer, and that's what the Indians are going to have to do to continue their mm-hmm. dominance in the AL Central. They need those guys to have starts like that over the course of the season. And, you know, that's exactly what you want to see. You can be happy as, as an Indians fan as if that's what's ahead. I thought Max Fried last night was so yeah. impressive. And what's, what's been really cool with him is, so obviously he's had a lot of injury issues that's really prevented him from kind of reaching the ceiling. That you know made him a top 10 pick, where he was traded for a premium player in Justin Upton, was a top 100 prospect multiple times, even post-injury. I remember he came through Durham uh, two years ago at the mm-hmm. end of the season. And went out, I just went out to, to watch kind of the game. I wasn't focused on him in general. It was one of the best pitching prospect performances I've ever seen with mm-hmm. stuff, you know, the snap on the curveball, the fastball velocity, his ability to just kind of work hitters in and out. It was impressive. And even though the, not the numbers that year weren't what you'd say would be, oh, yeah, we should make him a top 100 prospect, we kept him in there because you saw the stuff was in there. And, again, there were times last year you saw hits of it, too, and the command would kind of lead him, but... This is what the, what Max Fried did last night. He is capable of that, you know, being that uh, dominant left-handed starter. And Freddie Freeman even made a comment uh, to the Athletic about that before the season. That you know, a lot of people are asking him about the rookies, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, guys like that. Mm-hmm. He keeps telling them Max Fried's the guy, and, and I fully think that's legitimate. 
uh, having seen what Max Reed can do, and it was great to see him have that success last night. He's had a long, difficult road, but there's a really special starter in there potentially if he can stay healthy. And it was cool to see that glimpse come out on such a big stage last night. Yeah, no doubt. Six innings against the Cubs. He gave up just one hit, struck out five, walked none. Um, he has yet to allow a run this season. He had a couple of relief uh, outings in March. Uh, but yeah, I think for the Braves, obviously, I mean, that's kind of the storyline with them is which, which one of their young pitchers and how many of their young pitchers are going to kind of step up and establish themselves. There's definitely <clears throat> there's room for, for an ace in that rotation. I mean, there's no guy who's kind of entrenched himself in that spot unless you think Mike Fultonevich did it last season. Obviously, he's still working back and trying to get healthy. But uh, it'll be fun to see which one of their arms kind of can establish themselves and how many. Freed's done a, done a good job. There are a number of other candidates in that rotation and guys who are going to get some time in the bullpen as well. So the NL East will be fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, the Phillies, the Braves. The Bryce the, is certainly entertaining. The, uh, the whole <laughs> race in particular at Nationals. Exactly. Party. I had gotten back from covering the Padres and uh, – uh, just kind of went and saw what what was going on, and it was uh, as soon as he got it, it was like, oh, there it is. And that's that's what he can do, and that's where, for all his you know struggles at times in, in the past, uh, there's been some swing and miss, and there's no question health has been an issue, and he maybe hasn't been the top 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 guy that was expected of him, especially since that 2015 MVP mm-hmm. uh, campaign. This is still a guy whose talent is is incredible. Um, at any given point, he can change a game. He's one of the top five or ten most talented players in baseball, and you know he's having fun, and that was something I saw with Bryce last year mm-hmm. too when I covered the home run derby. As soon as he got to that, he was having fun. He was loving it. He was soaking up the energy. Then he went off and had a great second half. And when Bryce Harper is, is that way, loose, fun, competitive fire, that's when he's really dangerous. It's when he's you know trying to carry the world on his shoulders mm-hmm. and things can get a little bit dicey, mm-hmm. but. The Bryce Harper that we're seeing right now is the best version of Bryce Harper, just you know, personality-wise. And I think with that, we will see a great, great season as long as he can maintain that. Yep, three home runs already through five games, and and you got to see another one of the big free agents from this last year, this off season, kind of in action. What did you think of uh, Manny Machado early with the Padres? We see guys press a lot. I mean, you could see his first couple at bats. He was kind of swinging for the fences, chasing for some things, that, you know, opening at home, trying to make a good impression from the home crowd. It happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, I saw his first home run of the Padre, kind of a rocket shot off of the uh, West Mel Supply Company building. And, mm-hmm. you know, just hit, hit, hit that ball hard and continue to do that. He'll be fine. And what's really been impressive is the defense. I mean, mm-hmm. you know about his arm. I've seen it. I've seen him play a lot, whether, you know, when he was in Baltimore and covering him when he came through Anaheim, covering him in the World Baseball Classic. I went to Baltimore to cover him, covering him in All-Star Games. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those arms that you know is great, but every time you see it, you still just kind of chuckle and shake your head and say, wow. Um, it's it's special to watch when him play third base, uh, and particularly with that arm. And you know the bat's going to come around, and what he does for that team defensively, him and Tatis on the left side of that infield, and Kimber at second base, too. Uh, it's really improved that infield defense, and that's going to help the Padres. You know, a lot of people are talking about the success of this young pitching staff early. Lucchese, who again is a stud in his own right, mm-hmm. um, you know, he hasn't. He's been great. Uh, Lauer had a good opening day start. We saw Mark Andrews come up. Paddock was was really good in his Sunday debut. Mm-hmm. Having that defense is going to help these pitchers a lot. And I think that's where you know Manny Machado, the star power, the big bat, all those things the Padres needed, but. 
you know, being able to put him at third base on the left side of the midfield and vacuum up ground balls and make some uh, make some outs that a lot of other third basemen wouldn't make, it's going to help a lot of those young pitchers. And it's part of the reason why I think the Padres are, you know, the steps forward they look like they take it based on the first week of the season, I do think are sustainable. Yeah, no doubt. And another, another guy who maybe is even overshadowed at this point, given some of the names and some of the exciting prospects that have come up recently for San Diego is Will Myers. Uh, and he's off to a pretty strong start this year. I feel like he might be a, a really important guy for them if they're going to actually compete in the division this year, maybe expedite the process over there in San Diego. But uh, he's a guy who's shown flashes of being just a really impressive hitter. He's dealt with some injuries and some inconsistencies. But he's doing what you want early this season. Obviously, it's only a few games, but that's it's kind of good to see for Will Myers. Yeah, I mean, Carlos, you and I have talked about this, having both covered the Potters at various points. Will Myers is best when he doesn't have to be the best player in your lineup. Mm -hmm. He can be the third or fourth best player in your lineup, and he doesn't have to worry about being the guy. He can just be himself and let you know Machado and Hosmer, and even Tatis is getting more attention at this point. Just you know, be those guys. Fernando mm -hmm. Reyes, uh, you know, is almost you know the power hitter now that some people are, are very wary of. Uh, Myers is, is talented, and he just needs to go out and play, and we're seeing that. And I noticed, too, just being in the locker room, it's interesting. He was, not that he was ever not a strong guy, but his body composition is a little different, mm -hmm. like a little bit bigger in the upper body in all the right ways, um, mm -hmm. strength-wise, while also slimmer in like the waist. So in a way, he looks you know, both the strongest and most athletic I've seen him. Yeah. And I think that's going to help pretend to a really good year. We've already seen it in the left field a little bit. He... Uh, to get to some balls quicker in the corners. He had one play in particular, a double in the corner. He got there quick and uncorked a perfect throw to second to get a guy stretching uh, stretching towards a double. And those are just the kind of plays you didn't necessarily see Will Myers make in previous years. Mm -hmm. And if he can be that guy for the Padres, um, continue to hit the way he has been and be that good defender, that's just going to make them that much more dangerous. Yeah, his actually kind of just pulling it up on Statcast right now. His sprint speed uh, so far in the 2019 season, which I don't, I'm assuming this stabilizes pretty quickly, is in the 84th percentile. I'll have to check what it was previously, but that seems like it's a little quicker than uh, what Will Myers normally is. Uh, and so. he's had stolen bases before. He's always yeah. had a good athlete who can run. It's just there's definitely a noticeable kind of uptick in, mm -hmm. in just kind of the way everything is working. And, and I think and he talked about it a little bit, but. A lot of it is kind of based on, you know, he's, you know, we, we joke about best shape of his life. <laughs> training. Everyone's in the best shape of his life, but yeah. um, there are players for whom it's a very, very real thing, and it makes a, a measurable difference. I talked about that being the case with Dom Smith when I saw him, and I think Will Myers, again, not that he was ever not in shape. It's just, you know, there, there's a little more there that is, is noticeable for someone who's covered him in that locker room since 2015. There, there's definitely been a physical change in, in all the right ways, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, just kind of going over his previous sprint sprint speeds to uh, not mislead anyone. It's actually not a huge difference. I guess I was just understating how, how quick he actually is, which is maybe a, a testament to what Will Myers is as a player. You can kind of go under the radar a little bit, but he is very talented. Um, Kyle, is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap up here? I know you've got to get to a chat here in the next few minutes. I've got some stuff I've got to get back to on the amateur side. Um, but any last thoughts to uh, kind of close this out with? Yeah, and I think we have to talk about Pete Alonso with the Mets. Yeah. Uh, this is someone that we've talked about a lot in the past who big power's always been there. 
And then by the same token, the Arizona Fall League last year, he uh, either led the league in strikeouts or was right at the top of it. And the defense was, was bad enough. I had one evaluator throw a 20 grade on it. Oh. And that was why I think, even though we still had Pio Alonso in the top 50 uh, of our prospect list, uh, we had him, you know, number two in the Mets system. We clearly thought he was a really good player who could make a difference with his bat. Um, there was a sense it might be more low average, and you don't really know if you want him playing first base very often. Well, mm-hmm. to his credit, he went out this offseason and did exactly what he needed to do and got you know, much, much better defensively at first base. Uh, just, you know, I've had some scouts say they don't think he looks any better, but, you know, just watching on TV a little bit, I mean, again, he, he's clearly made strides he needs to make or else the Mets would not have put him on the opening day roster. Mm-hmm. He's obviously been mashing so far. Again, it's only been a week, but you see the thunder in the bat and, and how it's game-changing power. And I just want to give Pete Alonso a lot of credit. This is a good player. We've seen it before. He had to make improvements. And it looks like he made them, and he was rewarded with an opening day roster spot, and hitting second in the lineup on opening day, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. And if, if, if he can continue, again, I, I don't think anyone's going to pick him to hit 346 over the course of the entire season mm-hmm. with a 1,000 OPS. But uh, <laughs> if he can continue doing what he's doing and just, you know, get the barrel of the ball, driving it out. And, and yeah, he's got a 29% barrel percentage just going on the StatCast metrics. Again, that's top 2% in the league right now. If you look at all of his kind of like hitting metrics on StatCast, they're all near the like the top end of the league. So from like an analytics standpoint, and I know this stabilizes a little bit quicker than like average and that stuff, uh, it's really good to see that. I mean, that's that's impressive. Yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a big boy with a lot of power and he's, he's getting to it. And, and it's, again, a testament to him and it's always cool to see young talent like that come up. And then, you know, the young pitchers, right? We talk about Chris Paddock and Sandy Alcantara, you know, even you know, a guy like Trent Thornton who really popped up in mm-hmm. the ball league last year, Josh James with Houston. Guys who had either had a little bit of major league experience that would tantalize, but not enough you could state anything definitive. And then some other guys who, you know, there's promise, but you know, you never really know how it's going to play until they show up in the big leagues. And, all these guys have made really, really uh, positive impressions in the early going, and they're already helping their teams win games. And I also want to throw out Spencer Turnbull with the Tigers. It's just someone I saw in AAA last year, and mm-hmm. I was like, this guy's got velocity. There's plenty of life on his stuff. He has a good arm. It's just there's almost so much life that it kind of was tough for him to keep it in the strike zone sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there's no question there's a big lead arm, and then. Yesterday, he went out and struck out 11, I believe it was. So it's always exciting to see young guys kind of get a chance and, and make the most of it. That's kind of uh, half the fun of the season. And it's not just a thing where it's fun. I mean, a lot of those times, those young guys, we see more and more in Major League Baseball nowadays make the difference between a winning season and a losing season. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, Kyle, we appreciate you uh, coming on here and kind of breaking everything down, uh, giving us a run through the minors and the majors to start the season. Um, what are you working on next? What do you What do you think uh, readers should be looking forward to from you? Um, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. So obviously, all my major league content is on BA.com right now. If you read about you know the Padres and how the future is now, uh, the Giants, kind of the predicament they're in. I'm going to have a piece a little bit later about Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly and kind of what it's like being traded for a superstar. They're the two key uh, players, or I should say, the two major league ready players that the Diamondbacks acquired for Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, I'm going to have something small in Francisco Mejia as well. And then uh, 
all the minor league stuff. We've got a piece up now about uh, Luis, Luis Madero, uh, the Angels' number 19 prospect, which was really good on opening night last night. The mm -hmm. Angels have had a couple of arms pop up in the last year, and, and this is another guy who's kind of climbed the list. And then tonight I'll be watching Lake Elsinore and Inland Empire again for Mackenzie Gore's first start of the season. So Hello. That'll be a fun one. Yep. Well, Kyle, thank you again. Really appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, if you guys do want to follow Kyle on Twitter for all of his thoughts uh, and up-to-the-date news and what he's doing, it's Kyle A. Glazer. Definitely give him a follow if you have not followed him already. Um, Kyle, safe travels out there in California. I'm going to get to get back to draft stuff in here in Durham, um, but we appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. And thank you to all the listeners for uh, sticking around throughout the podcast. If you have not subscribed to Baseball America, definitely head over there and check it out, baseballamerica.com. Uh, you can sign up for our new uh, monthly magazine. We've done a lot of updates to that issue. It looks really good. Uh, definitely check that out. A lot of content there. Majors, minors, college stuff. Teddy is somewhere in the country. I think he's down in Mississippi this weekend watching college baseball. As I was just talking about, we've got high school coverage and draft coverage. Uh, we try to do it all throughout the entire year here at Baseball America. So thank you to our subscribers uh, who, who have already subscribed, and, and thank you guys for listening. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.